During the month of July, we're going to have the older kids with us during the services, and I'm going to incorporate them into my messages, and you never know what the kids are going to say, so it's going to be an interesting summer. But uh, welcome. Glad to have all of you here today. Uh, my name's Neil Davidson. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, and I'm going to have the privilege of bringing the, the word to you this morning, uh, I want to encourage you to grab your Bible and turn over to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. We've been in the book of Proverbs. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, and you don't have one on your phone or your tablet that you have along, uh, I'd love for you to just grab one of the Bibles that's underneath your seat, and you'll find uh, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs today, and that starts around 832 in the Pew Bible, the, chair, the Bible that's underneath your seat, and kind of runs back and forth, and we're going to be jumping around. And while you're getting turned to the book of Proverbs, let me remind you, next week, next Sunday afternoon from 3 to 6, we're going to be kind of having like a open house for the Poolins. Leo and Jenny have been very um, significant uh, parts of the core of Hope Chapel. They're moving to South Carolina. And so we're going to be meeting next week from 3 to 6. And as a part of that, um, but we've relocated it. It's going to, was going to be at my house, but now we're going to do it at Roger and Tracy Heald's house. They have a bigger yard. They have a pool. And so um, they didn't know we were using the pool until the first service, but now we're using the pool and um, that kind of thing. And if you're going to be able to join us, we'd love for you to just write on your connection card, write pool and gathering or poolins and put down whether there's four of you coming or two or eight or 22 or whatever. So we just have an idea of kind of how much stuff to have. Because we want to make sure we have enough, but we don't want to have lots of extras. Because when we have lots of extras, it all comes back here to the building. And then as a matter of good stewardship, I'm responsible to eat it all, and then this happens. So we want to try to get the number kind of close together. So hopefully you can fill that out. And when the offering plates are passed a little later, just put the connection card in there. So again, let me add my uh, uh, good wishes to all of our dads among us today. You know, it's interesting when, when we think about the way we celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day, and Steve kind of alluded to this in his reaction when we said Happy Father's Day. You know, when, when we do Mother's Day, we come in and we, we celebrate moms, all the great things that moms do, and we talk about how great they are and that kind of stuff. And, and usually when we get to Father's Day, when we get to this place, you know, the preacher gets up and he has a message. It's like, all right, here are the 98 things that you need to do better as a dad in order to be the father God wants you to be. You know, we just heap all this guilt upon everybody. I'm not going to do that today. I don't have any interest in doing that. I had a great father. Wasn't perfect. Great dad. Had a great father-in-law. I've enjoyed being a dad. I've been blessed by being a dad. And so, um, but I do want to focus in on, on kind of leapfrogging out of something that I see and try to journey through the book of Proverbs related to this is, I don't know if you noticed this, but, but most of the times when fathers are portrayed on television, they're always portrayed as the biggest moron in the family, right? They're the, the biggest fool in the family. You know, some of this started back when I was a kid, you know, shows like All in the Family and the Jeffersons and those kinds of shows were on. And the dad was always the big buffoon, you know, that kind of idea. And, and it just kind of built momentum, right? You got shows like Married with Children and then you got, you know, Everybody Loves Raymond, right? You know, not, not only with a husband, but also the, the, the father-in-law, you know, the, fa- the, the, the grandfather, you know, all that kind of thing. The mother-in-law is not such a prize, but, you know, that kind of idea. And, and then you get, you know, shows like, you know, Home Improvement, and except just keeps now you got last man standing and those kinds of shows and and over and over again the dad is the one who's the fool in the family right and and I want to talk to us today about one of the most incredible messages that the book of Proverbs tries to give us and this is a message to 
us dads, but it's a message to all of us. And the book of Proverbs invites us over and over again to foolproof our lives. It wants it realizes that out there in the streets, there are two competing calls that are always coming to us. One is for us to live foolishly, and that's all the commotion that's taking place in the gates of the city. It's just life. You know, the New Testament, Jesus talked about the wide road it's with a, that, you know, that many are on, and that kind of thing. He says, this, this, is the, this is the pathway of the foolish, living the world's way, and then there's this call of the wise. It's calling out over the midst of the commotion, listen to me, follow me, etc. Jesus referred to the narrow way, that you have to enter through the narrow gate too, and it's the road that leads to life. And the book of Proverbs is trying to lay out that choice to us over and over again, whether we're going to choose blessing, the blessed life, the wise life, or are we going to choose the cursed life, the difficult life, the foolish life, the worldly life. And it presents that to us over and over again. And there are three main categories that it tries to call us to. One is our decisions. What, what, what do we decide we're going to believe? What do we decide we're going to value? What do, we going, what do we decide that we're going to prioritize? The second area of our lives that it really tries to focus in is, our, is on our actions. What we actually do with our behavior. Because our behavior has consequences. It impacts us. It's not separated from that. Our actions are a part of that. The third thing that it lays out for us is it tries to really get us to focus on the companions that we do life with. And here's the reality. When we we speak today about this idea of foolproofing our lives, the area that I really want to draw you to is that you and I need to be careful about who we do life with. Who do we allow for life? To, who do we allow in our lives to influence us? The reality is, is that when God created relationships, God created peer pressure. And this is on the back of your outline, the back of your sermon, uh, the handouts for today, the sermon outline. And the very first point is that when God created relationships, he created peer pressure. Now, and, and peer pressure continues to go on today, right? It's, it's, it just is, right? I mean, let me give you dramatic proof, all right? Again, I grew up in the 1970s, right? So I was in high school from 1975 to 1979, right? I graduated in 1979. Some of you were around in those days. Do you remember the leisure suit, right? Remember the leisure, leisure suit? I think we've got to have a picture of it up here coming up. The leisure suit. This one. Leisure suits were great, you know, for one thing, especially when you're a high school boy, they were 100% polyester, right? So it's one of these deals where you put it on because you got to wear it, right? So you're going to some vet moms, so you put on this leisure suit, you get home, you wad it up in a ball, you throw it underneath your bed, right? It stays there for two or three months. When you need it again, you pull it out, you un- unwind it, and there's no, you don't even have to iron it. You just put it on, you know, because it doesn't get wrinkled. It was a perfect suit, you know. All you needed was a shirt with a big enough collar to cover over the top of your, of your loose suit. Remember? And a few guys raised it. There was a whole generation of us who wore leisure suits. Why? Because peer pressure exists, right? That's what everybody else was doing, so we bought leisure suits. I wish I still had mine, but so I outgrew it, so, you know, because it'd be just perfect, and, you know, that kind of idea, and, you know, John Tabolter with Saturday Night Fever, you know, with his leisure suit. There we go. 
That's probably an image that you did not want in your mind, but there we go. But biblically, peer pressure just is. But what it tries to make us aware of is that peer pressure is either going to be good for us or it's going to be bad for us. Peer pressure can be positive in encouraging us to live wisely, or peer pressure can be negative and take us away from living wisely. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, as the author there, writing under God's guidance to us, we don't know exactly who the author is. It might have been Paul. It might have been somebody else. He's telling us God created the body so that it can function in such a way that it is a constant, positive, spiritual peer pressure in your life. He said, you know, in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and you can write that reference down. We're not going to have time to turn to it. He says specifically, he says, you know, don't neglect meeting together because the reason why you are together is to encourage one another. And you should be thinking about how you can spur each other on to love and to good works. He's saying the whole design of the body of Christ is to be a positive spiritual peer pressure in your life. But there's other places where it's just the opposite. And so today we want to talk about what does it really take to foolproof our lives. And specifically, we want to take, look specifically at how it is that you and I can recognize who should we allow to be the companions in our journeys and those who we should try to keep at arm's length. So again, hopefully you have your Bibles and, and you, you're going to follow along. And so I want to start with this first point, and I've done this over and over again as we've gone through this series, is that I want to start with the faith foundation of living wisely. Because there's a lot of ways to pick up this book, turn to the book of Proverbs, and read through it and say, you know what, that, that, I can do a lot of that stuff and never give any thought to God. I mean, because you have the architect of life, God, the one who engineered it, and he is, as a, in response to a request from Solomon, when God said, listen, you ask for me, you can ask for me anything that you want, and here's this guy, this young man who's just taken over the kingship of the people of God, and he's floundering around, and God says, all right, all right, what do you want from me? And he says, you know what, I want to be wise. And so the architect, the engineer of life, has said, okay, I'm going to answer your request, and I'm going to make you wise. And so he gives us all kinds of truths on how to do life in a practical way. It only makes sense that we could take a lot of those things, rip them out of the faith context and go away. But fundamentally, the book of Proverbs is saying, if you don't get the faith element right, you are fundamentally unwise from the very beginning. And because when you're doing that, all you're doing is living life for this world. And when you're living life for this world, you are living unwisely, no matter how well you're living it. So let's start off with Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. So if you're in the book of Proverbs, just look for the big black letters that, that form the chapters, and then look for the smaller letter that comes after that. And, and we read in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, this truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So here's, here's the first point I want to make. In order for you and I to foolproof our lives, the first ingredient that we've got to pour into ourselves is this. And that is, we have to trust God. We have to trust God. Now, I'm using that word specifically, trust, rather than the word fear that we just read on purpose. Because I think trusting God is a combination of two different things. I think trust in God is 
the combination of the love of God and the fear of God. In order for us to truly trust God, that means we give our lives to him, we follow after him, we obey him, we seek to be like him, we want to be with him, we want to be pleasing to him. In order for you and I to trust him, it takes the combination of the love of God and the fear of God. And I think we live in a time where we focus a lot on loving God, but there's way too many people who are connected to issues of faith, and they don't really have any fear of God. And, and let me kind of unpack what that kind of looks like to me. You know, we live on this side of the cross, right? God was working through human history up to this pinnacle where he brought redemption through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And we're on the other side of that. And as you look back at that, here, here are two the, the points that I would see for the love of God. God is inviting us to love him passionately, and to do so because he loved us enough to die for us. The reason why you and I should have this overwhelming love for God, this passion for God, this urgency and excitement for following after God, why we should be mesmerized by who God is, is that God has loved us enough that he actually let himself become one of us, and then he died so that we could be with him forever. And that should spur love, our love for God. But I look back at that same event and I say it ought to make us be terrified of God because God takes sin so seriously, any kind of sin, not just the biggies, you know, murder and that kind of stuff. God takes any kind of sins, lying, materialism, pride, you know, that kind of stuff, neglect. God takes all of that stuff so incredibly seriously that there's no way that anybody could stand in his presence unless somehow it was dealt with. And the only way that he would be satisfied for it to be paid is that it took the death of his very own son who had lived in eternity without any sin at all. And he had literally to become sin so that you and I could be forgiven of sin. And, and, and that, you know what, that ought to stop you in your tracks. Because a lot of us think, you know what, I, I, I can just tolerate, I can tolerate this much sin in my life, right? You know, I can do life pretty well with this much, and I don't have to worry about the rest of it, you know, because of God's grace and that kind of stuff. God said, no, 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 you, you ought to be so fearful of what I think about sin that any sin ought to be something you're trying to drive out of your life. Second aspect of foolproofing our lives, and this is where we get into the issues of companionship says, you and I need to recognize, and we need to guard ourselves against. In other words, we can't eliminate them from our lives, but we, we, we need to recognize and guard ourselves, guard our hearts, guard the influence they have on us of the foolish people in the world. Because sometimes you have foolish people in your family. Sometimes a foolish person lives next door. Sometimes you work with a foolish person and you don't have any control over that or whatever. But, but, so you can't eliminate themselves, but you can be on guard against them. Now, let's look at a couple of uh, 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 Proverbs. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 7. This is on page 543, if you're following along. This, again, is Solomon, who's been endowed by God, given this gift of God, to have this incredible wisdom, and what he says to us, stay away from the foolish man. And that's not gender specific, 
right? That's not why the dads on sitcoms are always the idiots in the family, right? When he uses the word, stay away from the foolish man, he really means the, the, the foolish person. It's not gender specific. You can have a foolish man or a foolish woman. It says, stay away from a foolish person. You will gain no knowledge from his speech. So the very first thing he says to us, man, you know what? If you see a foolish person, stay away. And here's why you need to stay away, because you're going to be dumber if you listen to him. You're going to gain absolutely no knowledge from anything that he says. He's just going to create confusion and that kind of stuff, and you're going to become dumber as a result of listening to him. So you need to guard your heart so that the foolish person does not have this influence on you because you are listening to them and you are becoming dumber as you go. (laughs) All right? So next reality. All right? Again, this is God giving us this counsel through our decisions and through our actions and through our companionships on how to foolproof our lives. And the number one decision we make is to fear the Lord our God, to trust in him. The second is to make sure that those who are in our lives that are trying to draw us away, trying to guide us down the wide path that leads to destruction, that wide path that everybody else is on, it looks easy, it looks good, it looks that kind of stuff. He said, you know what, you need need to stay away from those people because those people are going to make you dumber as you go along. Then the next thing he calls us to is to recognize and eliminate the foolish behavior that's in us. And, and, and I want to point you back to Proverbs chapter 1. So this is back over to page 533, if you're following along in our pew Bibles. Proverbs chapter 1. I want to read verses 21 through 23, but I want to focus in specifically on a word in verse 23. Because what he's asking us to do is to change our behavior, to act differently. So here's the image. It says, wisdom calls out in the streets. She raises her voice in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion, right? She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. So there's this two competing calls that are out there, right? There's voices. One is all this commotion in the city gates. It's called, hey, follow me. Look at the wide road. It's easy. You know, it looks good. You get all this stuff. It's all about you. It's got all, follow along. But there's this other voice that's calling out above the commotion. And it's saying, how long, foolish ones, will you love ignorance? How long are you mockers going to enjoy your mocking? And you fools hate knowledge. He says, if you turn, If you change, if you alter your behavior, right? If you turn to my discipline, then, man, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you and going to teach you my words. And so he's asking for a change in behavior. It's it's interesting. I've I've given you a reference to Psalm chapter 1, and you can read this when you get home. But but let me just read out verse 1 to you. It says, how happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked? Or take the path of sinners, or join a group of mockers. And what he's saying is, you know, the person who, who, who doesn't even get on the pathway with those who are headed towards the wide road where everybody else is on, the, the ones who, they don't follow the advice of the wicked, they, they don't get comfortable walking and living the same way as them, when they, when they don't feel comfortable, when they've resist getting to a place where they just feel like they can sit down and be a part of it and it feels natural to them. He's really kind of talking, this is what it's like to get off on the wrong way. You listen to somebody, they get you going in the wrong direction and you take a few steps that way and then after a while it just feels like, man, this is right and you just keep doing it. And next thing you know, you're way off and you're sitting down 
and feel comfortably and you're one of the leaders of the scoffers and you miss out on the blessedness. The guy said, man, change your behavior. Change your actions. And then back over to, to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13. This is the last one. So he's, he's, he's fo- giving us some stuff here to foolproof our lives. Trust in the Lord. Stay away from the foolish. Guard yourself again. Don't let them draw you. Make sure that you're constantly turning, changing your actions back. And then chapter 13, verse 20. This is this powerful verse, and it says this, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. So let me make this statement to you today. I mean, you're in church on a Sunday morning. A few of you guys got drugged here. It's Father's Day, that kind of stuff. I understand that. But for the most of you, it's like, you know what, it's a good thing for me to go to church. And so you kind of have some openness to God, that kind of stuff. And there's, and, and, and you know, you'll probably feel some, you know, man, I really should focus. Uh, that's a good point that he just made or what God's saying to us or whatever. What you do with that, the number one influence on what you do with that is going to depend upon who you hang out with as you go forward. The number one thing. You stay with the wise, you're going to get wiser. If you hang out with fools your life is going to come to a place of harm. So what he says. So he says that the ingredients to fully prove in your life is start with trust in God. Stay away from the fools. Change your behavior. Get to a place where you can stay in the company of the wise and let them spur you on to love and good works as a part of the journey. Let them encourage you. And, and, and so he, he invites us to be among the wise. You know, and... It, the, the biggest impact on what happens with the spiritual truth that God invests in you, and I know His Spirit's working all the time, is who you choose to open up your life to and influence you. If it's the fools, you're going to suffer harm. If you open it up to wisdom, you're going to become wise. If you're walking with the people who are wise, the people who are pursuing after God. So, so here's the number one question to me is how do you tell the difference between the foolish and the wise? I mean, it'd be nice if we just had like, okay, you put an F for fool, and you put a big W, right, for wise. And hey, can I see? You know, oh, yeah, you're wise. I'll walk with you. It doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, you look at some folks, hey, you know, they're pretty, I should listen to that kind of stuff, and we don't really know if they're foolish or wise. How do you tell the difference? I mean, hey, you know, in the church lobby, how bad can they be? You know, I should, I should listen to them, you know, kind of. How do you tell the difference between the foolish and the wise? If our companionships, who we choose to allow to influence us, the the way that we manage the peer pressure in our lives, if it is so critical to the spiritual outcomes that God's going to work in our lives, how is it that you and I can recognize who are the foolish and who are the wise? And I want to give you a few characteristics. I know our time's moving along quickly. So... I, I just want to give you a few things to think about in relationship to that. So here, here's the first thing. You can tell the difference between the foolish and the wise because the foolish just consult with God and the wise fear God. All right? The foolish consult with God 
But the, but the, the, the wise, they actually fear him. You know, Jesus used Matthew chapter 27, and I've given you a couple of references there in Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 3. But, you know, Jesus talking, you know, the foolish builder is the one who hears my words and does them. The wise builder is the one who hears my words and does them. The foolish is the one who hears them and goes in a different direction. But here's the biggest difference, okay? Because I think there's a lot of people in the church today, they're active churchgoers, and really God has a consultant role in their lives. And this is how you can tell the difference. So a person who has a relationship with God and they're letting God be their consultant is somebody who says, you know what? I want to know what God thinks about this so that I can think about it and then I'll decide what I, can, what I want to do. I want to know what God says about this, whether it's about relationships or whether it's about careers, whether it's about our finances, whether it's about our sexuality, whether it's about faith or whatever, you know, any cultural issues. I want to know what God thinks about this, and then I'll think about it, and then I'll decide what I'm going to do. A person who fears God is somebody who says, I want to know what God says about it so that I can go do it. I want to know what God says about it so I can go do it. So the wise person, the person who trusts in the Lord with all their heart, they don't lean at all on their own understanding. In all their ways, they acknowledge him, and he directs their paths. And there's way too many of us who have God as a consultant in our lives. Now, there may be aspects of our lives where we, we fear God, but there are a lot of places in our life where, eh, you know what, I, 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 it's great to know what God thinks, and now I'm going to figure out what I want to do. And God's just a consultant to us. And this is one of those sermons where you're not supposed to be using binoculars so you can look across the sanctuary and say, hey, that applies to you, you know, but this is one of those things where you're supposed to be using a microscope so you can be looking at yourself, right? You know, it's one of these things where you can point a finger at somebody else, just realize that three of those fingers are pointing at yourself, you know, and, and it's one of those, listen, we all do this. They're all, all, every single one of us in this room, in some form or another, are acting foolishly because we're just exploring what God says, but then we're going out and doing whatever we think. And God is just a consultant to us. He's not really the one that we fear. Here's the second thing. Are they teachable or do they think they are never wrong? Are they teachable or do they think that they are never wrong? I, I just want to read two verses to you out of this. One is, is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves instruction, in other words, somebody teaching them, pouring into their lives, whoever loves instruction lands up loving knowledge. But the one who hates correction doesn't want anybody to come along and say, you're wrong. That person is stupid. I got to tell you, there are many days where I could wear a big S on my chest, and it wouldn't stand for Superman, and on Father's Day, it even wouldn't stand for Super Dad. It would stand for stupid, stupid idiot, you know, because it's, it's you know what, somebody shares a word or whatever, and we just, we, I, I'm going to reject that and push it away or whatever, because I don't want that instruction. You know, I, I, I'm not wrong. This is somebody else's fault. The only reason I did that is because they, you know, it's their fault that I did that. You can't blame me, and we, we reject it. We push it away, and, and they're not teachable because they always blame somebody else. Another verse, and this is one of those ones where you really got to resist 
the elbow, okay? You know, when somebody want to elbow the person, they say, this applies to you, right? Proverbs chapter 17, verse 10. Just listen to this pastor scripture. A rebuke cuts into a perceptive person more than a hundred lashes into a fool. So the imagery here is the wise person is, you know what, somebody comes alongside and says, you know what, that wasn't so smart. You know, you, 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 you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. You should apologize. You need to correct again. And they're just, bro, man, oh. I, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is David, right, when he's confronted by Nathan. He says, you know, I, I've, I've sinned. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against the nation. I've sinned against, you know, Bathsheba. I've sinned, I, you know, and, and he's, just, he's just cut with a single word, just like that. The other person is the fool. And he says, you know, that one word spoken to a wise person has more impact than if you beat this person with a two-by-four for a hundred lashes. Some of you know some people like that. You, you've been trying to beat some sense into them, and, and, and you, you haven't even got the nail started yet, right? You know, it, it always seems to me that when I'm in an awkward position trying to nail something, right, it's always the hardest piece of wood in the universe because the nails are flying off and you're hitting your thumb. So a lot of us, that's exactly the way we are. We, 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 we just, we're just like trying to, it, God's just trying to pound it into us, and we're just not getting it. And so one of the questions is, is this person teachable, or do they always just say, you know, ah, let's just forget it. You want an example of that, and I wish I could go into this. This is King Ahab, right? You know, some of you know the story of King Ahab. He married Jezebel, one of the most evil kings. Not so much that he, but one of the most spiritually evil kings ever. Just celebrated the, and built up the whole sexual immorality that was a part of the worship customs of the day, infant, you know, offering up infants as offerings and that kind of stuff, infanticide, all those kinds of things. And, and when God brings judgment on the people and he uses Elijah to, to say, Here's, there's going to be a drought and it's not going to rain until I speak again about this, Ahab blames Elijah for the drought instead of blaming his own behavior. He says, you know, I, yeah, I know I've offended God 109 ways a day, forever. But this isn't my fault. This is your fault. That's where a lot of us are. And we could go into some powerful stuff in there. Third thing I want you to look at real quickly. Do they hang around with or do they toy with things that are spiritually dangerous or do they do all they can to avoid it? Do they... Hang around with that which is spiritually dangerous. Do they toy with it? You know, and, and this is a lot, a lot of stuff. You know what? I, I can manage my sin. I, I can deal with this. You know, I can get it to a place where it doesn't get out of control or, or, or do they do all they can to avoid it. Look at a couple of passages of Scripture here. You know, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. Just a couple of chapters over from where we were. The sensible... In other words, the wise person, they see danger and they take cover. But the foolish, they keep going and they get punished. You you, you go back a couple of chapters to chapter 22, verse 5. You know, and and it says, There are thorns and snares on the path of the crooked, and the uh, the one who guards himself stays far from them. 
So it's like you're driving down the road in your car, right? And you see this massive pothole. And, and, and the wise drivers want to say, how far away can I get? And the foolish drivers are saying, how much of my tire can I hang over that pothole without going in? You know, and powerful imagery from the scriptures, and, and I think we often overlook this. When you go and you look at the life of Christ, one of the very first experiences he had was a temptation, right? In, in Mark's gospel, it's right in the first chapter. You know, Jesus comes out into his public ministry. He's baptized by John the Baptist. The very first thing is that God tempts him for 40 days in the wilderness. What the, what the book of Mark tells us is that the Holy Spirit had to drive Jesus into the, into the wilderness. So in other words, if, if this is the wilderness over here, and back here is safety, removal from temptation, Jesus is trying to go this way. He's trying to get back, and the Spirit is just pushing him back. Because Jesus doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to be tempted. But a lot of us, we live our lives, you know, if this is a fire, we say, how close can I get without getting burned? And we just want to get closer and closer and closer to it. And the wise person is the one who says, how far back can I stay and still roast my hot dog, right? And, and the foolish person says, how, how much can I get up in it without getting burned? Uh, you know, just, just, just a, some personal experience out of this. I mean, you know, unfortunately, over my journey of 30 years in ministry, on a number of occasions, not tons, but a few occasions, I've had to deal with Couples that experienced unfaithfulness in their marriage. And as I was thinking about this same thing this week, in, in, in none of those instances did, did any, the, one who was the, the, the one who committed the unfaithfulness say, you know what, I, I set out in this relationship just to have an affair. They, they all said, you know what, I, I was hurting or they were hurting or I knew this person. And so I just tried to reach out and connect with them a little bit. And I didn't know if my spouse would understand or not. So when we met for coffee, I didn't tell them and this and that. And, and what they're doing is they're, they're trying to play with fire and not get burned. And what the scripture tells us is that if we try to play with fire, we're eventually going to be harmed. We're going to suffer harm. And so are some of the loved ones around us. And so one of the ways that you can tell the difference between a wise person and a foolish person is are they, are they, are they toying with spiritual temptation or are they trying to stay as far away from it as they possibly can? And this is a, a huge question, I think, for us in a lot of ways, but I don't have enough time to, to go with that today. Two more points, real quick. Do they live by what feels right or by, what, or by what they know is right in God's eyes. This goes back a little bit to some things we looked earlier, but just look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2 with me. Again, there's great power in just seeing the black and white, right? Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2, right? It says, even zeal, passion, enthusiasm, eagerness, urgency, etc. Even zeal is not good without knowledge. And the one who acts hastily sins. You follow that up in, in uh, the very next verse that says, you know, um, um, sorry, um, at, at 22, chapter 22, verse 24, 22, verse 24, says, don't make friends with an angry man, and don't be a, become a companion of a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. What, what, what he's trying to say to us is, you know, there are people out in our lives, what they're going to they're gonna live their lives governed by their emotions. 
Just what feels right. You know what? And, and, if, and, and sometimes they're angry. You know, this person did this. It made me angry, and they deserve everything they get. And they just whoosh, and out it comes. And, but I think this kind of idea of what feels right is, is rampant. We live in a culture that says, you know, you need to govern your own life and just do what makes you feel happy, right? And so the, the foolish person is somebody says, you know what, does this feel right? Is this going to make me happy? And they're living their lives by their emotions, you know, given my circumstances and this and that, well, this is what I got to do, you know? And, 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 it just, and they run it by their, their own emotions, their own feeling, their own gut instincts. The wise person is the one who says, what does God say about this? And that's what I'm going to do. And, and, and when you and I get caught up with those who are living our, their lives by their emotions, by their hot temperedness, by their angry, we're going to get entangled in the snare and to move forward. And I was going to tell you a real juicy story, but I don't have time for that. So we're going to move on. <laughs> one last passage of Scripture, the one last point, is do they accept responsibility or do they usually blame somebody else? Do they accept responsibility or do they usually blame somebody else? I- I'm going to give you a quote from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 9. And I'm going to give it to you out of the New Living Translation. So this reference is in your, in your notes and et cetera. But, but I, I, I think they really get at the heart of the matter a little bit better than the Holman Christian, which we generally use. He says, and his, this is what the New Living Translation says in Proverbs 14, verse 9. A, foolish, a fool makes fun of guilt. A fool makes fun of guilt. But the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. The fool says, you know what, you're too, you're too, life's too short for you to be feeling guilty about the stuff you do and this and that. Those people don't matter, don't care about them. Focus on yourself, etc. cetera. And, and, they, and they make fun of guilt. They make fun of a guilty conscience. They said, oh, that's all that stuff you've been programmed with and all that kind of stuff. And they just make fun of guilt. But the wise person, the righteous person, they, they say, boy, boy, you know what, God's trying to protect me from harm. By, by bringing this thought into my mind, bringing this, this guilty conscience before me. And, and you know what? If I, if I seek to alleviate it by seeking God, it's going go, to bring an end to it. It's, it, it's powerful stuff. You know, and, and again, there's other, other verses I've listed there for you. I'm just going to have to rely on you to go and, and hear, read those for yourself. And, you know, I, it's just, you know, this idea for us. That do they accept responsibility? Do they embrace the guilt, or do they blame somebody else? You know, and, and again, I, 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 th- I think we live in, in a generation in, in an era where we're we're so eager just to pass everything off on circumstances and to alleviate personal responsibility. Now, I, I, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't work to change circumstances. I believe the church should be at the forefront of that stuff. But that doesn't mean that there's not a personal responsibility that goes behind it. And, and the wise person is the one who says, you know what? I have a choice to make no matter what my circumstances are. The foolish person says, hey, you know, it's just the way it is. And I can't help it. It's just who I am and just where I am. And they don't accept responsibility. And you could see this in the life of King Saul and some other things that go along. There's a, there are two paths set out before us. One of them is wide, 
A lot of people on it. You don't have to think much. You don't have to do much. You don't have to work very hard to walk it. That's the path that leads to destruction is what the scripture tells us. It's the foolish path. The other path, you got to go through a narrow gate. It starts with personal faith in Christ. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a narrow and a hard way to follow. But it's the path that leads to life. And what Proverbs would say to us, he says, you know, I, God is eager for us to foolproof our lives. And there's lots of applications, but the primary word to us today is be careful who you're walking with. Be careful who you're letting influence you and whether that's taking you down the wide path that leads to destruction or the narrow path that leads to life. Because God wants us on that narrow path that leads to life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the choice that you set before us. God, grant us wisdom to see where we're foolish. God, grant us wisdom to see where we need to limit the impact on the foolish, of the foolishness of those who are around us. God, grant us wisdom to open up the access to those who can pour wisdom, life, what's right before you into our lives. God, give us the companions that draw us close to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.